Two weeks ago, Pastor Jay began a series of messages on the Ten Commandments. Now, concerning these ten words, and, and the commandments are really ten words that God spoke, uh, Mark Strom writes, the Lord did not give the law to establish his relationship with Israelites. He gave it because he already had a relationship with them, and he wanted them now to learn how to express his relationship, this relationship faithfully. God has given us instructions on his supremacy. That is command number one, no other gods before me. God has given us instruction uh, on the fact that he can't be represented by an image of any kind. No matter what we try, we cannot represent God with an image. And then in this third commandment, God instructs us how to talk about him, not with him, but about God. How do we communicate to other people who God is? As our title suggests, Revere God's Name, we are to regard the name of God with high honor and respect. Our view of God affects how we speak about him and what others hear coming from us. This is told to us in Matthew chapter 15. Christ said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. We begin as we uh, continue our sermon this morning as we look at uh, this commandment and just for a few moments consider what's in a name. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but what is in a name? I thought about that and I realized how much time some parents spend in choosing the names of their children. Now, when we were raising our children, or when we were expecting our children, there was no way of knowing up front whether it was a boy or a girl. So you'd have boys' and girls' names ready to go. Uh, your situation may have been different, but uh, we spent time considering names. We would think about them, maybe researching the meaning of the names. What do those names mean? We would look at famous names. Uh, famous people who had those names, or maybe we'd look at infamous people and say, no, we're not going that direction. Uh, sometimes we would simply uh, go by the sound, by the sound of that name. Uh, maybe we would choose a name that was easy to spell. Uh, my parents liked Calvin. I don't know where they got the name. Uh, I really don't think they knew of John Calvin, the reformer. I doubt they knew of Calvin Coolidge, uh, as pre former president, considering we lived up in Canada at the time, uh, I liked the name. They didn't realize that it really means bald one. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that prophecy doesn't come true. Um, some names that we have are ancestral geographical names. Sometimes our last names reflect where our ancestors came from. My paternal grandmother's last name was Friesen. And as near as we can determine, that comes from a province, in, the province of Friesland in the country of the Netherlands. Although she was born in Nebraska and it had been many, many years since anybody had been in that area, that is probably where her name originated. Now, some people have names that connect to their uh, occupation. If you're a smith, chances are somewhere in the past, one of your family members was working in metal, on metal, and he was a smith, maybe a blacksmith or a metalsmith of some kind. Or maybe you have relatives that are millers. 
Now, they came people who, they were people who probably worked in a mill somewhere along the line, and they picked up that name, and now you are a miller, and so on. Now, some people have last names that uh, maybe don't in themselves mean much or are very significant, but when you put them with an occupation they choose, you begin to wonder uh, what, would you, what was going on when they were doing that, because uh, we had a small hospital in our community in Nebraska where we had a surgeon by the name of Dr. Doolittle. We always wondered what he did. Um, his name said something about him, although he was a good surgeon, very, very well, highly respected. Our son Chris needed some reconstructive surgery on his mouth, um, and uh, we took him to the Mayo Clinic. And at the Mayo Clinic, the surgeon who worked on his mouth was Dr. Bite. And we thought, interesting choice of occupation. Uh, so this happens from time to time. Or some people just have a name they just absolutely hate, and when they get old enough to change that name, they do it, and they become legally somebody else. One of the first name changes I became aware of was a boxer by the name of Cassius Clay, who in 1960 uh, won a gold medal in the Olympics. Well, he in 1964, converted to the Muslim faith. And he thought that his name was a slave name, and so he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. And that's how we know him today. Some of you may remember seven-foot-one Lou Alcindor, who has been named the second greatest basketball player behind, guess who? Michael Jordan. But you may remember him more as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So changes of names take place in people's lives. Every culture and ethnic group has traditions in how names are chosen. In Myanmar, the Burmese culture has no last names. It's just one name. And sometimes that name has three or four words to it. So you have a series of three, four words, but there, there really isn't a last name. And uh, it may have no connection to family history, so you have no way of connecting that person with a family member. Now, it did create a bit of a problem when Global Fingerprints came to um, Myanmar, and we require that you have a first and a last name on the form. You know, everywhere you go, what's your first name, what's your last name? Well, if you don't have one of those, you have a problem. So our program manager kind of arbitrarily and somehow decided, well, this is first and this is last, and he cut them off. Sometimes I still get emails from him that have them all together and spelled differently, and it, it kind of, it's kind of a mess, but that's the culture of the Burmese country. Uh, you have no way of connecting siblings with each other because their names have no connection. They don't have a connection to family. And so mother, father, son, daughter, they all have different names, and there's no way by looking at them that you can tell they're connected. That's the culture there. In the ancient world of the Middle East, a person's name often carried more significance than simply an identification. Sometimes it, used, or it was often considered a description of a character or maybe a condition under which that child was born. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 11, we read that the angel came to Hagar who was struggling with her relationship in that mixed, kind of mixed up family with Abraham and Sarah and, and Hagar, and, and it's, it's a mess. But the angel came to her and said, you're now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And the angel said, you will call him Ishmael. Why? For the Lord has heard of your misery. 
It means God heard. And so throughout his life, Ishmael carried that word, that name, God heard. God heard my mother cry, and he helped her, and he took care of her. The name Isaac, meaning laughter, comes from when God told Sarah that she was going to have a son at age 90. I don't know if I would laugh or cry. <laughs> she laughed because she thought it was so impossible. But Isaac then became a boy of laughter. Uh, in First Chronicles 4, 7, and I don't know if you've read First Chronicles recently. I think most people try to skip that when they're reading through the Bible. It's a it's a book of chronolo chronology and genealogy, and it's one name after another, after another, another family name, and so on. But there in chapter 4, there's about two or three verses that focus on one individual. And we're told that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And we don't know why. We just know that he was. But we know why he had the name. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. I don't know if I want to go through life being a pain. I mean, sometimes people call me a pain. Sometimes, uh, you know, we have people who are pains, but his name was literally pain. And throughout life, he carried that with him. So there's a lot to learn from people's names at times, and especially when you're going through Scripture, you find things that, that uh, give us clues to their, their name. Well, this commandment in Exodus chapter 20, if you turn to that, and that'll kind of be our focus in this uh, message. The chapter 20, verse 7, the third commandment says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the God Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So let's think, first of all, before we get into uh, the, the, um, the aspect of misusing, but let's look at what God's name is. What is how do we know God, and, and what is that important about God's name? Well, we see in, in the Old Testament, throughout the first chapter of Genesis, the name Elohim the Hebrew word Elohim is translated God, and it is a plural form of the, the general name for God, El, which is simply E-L. And it was a name that was used by cultures all around them uh, as time went on. El was God, their, their God, their version of who God was. And God took that form uh, and gave, told Moses to write it down as Elohim. God was a creator. God was the God of the universe. What God wanted people to understand was that God was a God of all the people. He was over all the gods. He was God like everybody else had missed. He was over all. And it was appropriate because God was a God of creation. But, you know, God said, there's something missing here because it, this is a kind of a generic term. This covers all of, of the, the, the activities, the functions, the responsibilities, as it were, of God. I need a name that's going to connect me to the Israelites directly. So he chose Yahweh. And we're introduced to that personal name, Yahweh, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And this is uh, the picture of Mo Moses standing before a burning bush. Remember the story of the burning bush in the desert that started to burn and just kept burning, and it never uh, burned up. It was just a flame out of this bush. And he had to take off his sandals because the ground was holy and God was speaking to him. And it was at that point that God commissioned Moses to go back to Israel 
to be the leader of his people. And it's estimated probably somewhere in the two million people or thereabouts. And God said, Moses, I want you to go back there. And uh, Moses said, sure, I'll get right on it. If you've read the scriptures, you know that's not what Moses said. I, I can see Moses saying, but wait a minute, God, I, I killed an Egyptian back there. They're looking for me. But wait a minute, God, he said, I'm not very eloquent. They're not going to understand me. I've got a stuttering tongue. I, 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 I can't do that. God finally convinced him, yes, you can. And he had another objection. In verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what is your name? You see, how, who, who's this, this uh, driving force? Who's this God behind this? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and the name shall call me, and the name you shall call me from generation to generation. This personal name, Yahweh, in the Hebrew is, is four consonants. And in the ancient uh, script, initially, Hebrew was not written with vowels. It was written with consonants only. And there's four, uh, these four consonants make up this name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. It is the name signifying I am who I am, coming from the idea of life and living. I am. I simply am. It speaks of God's self Existence is self-sufficiency and supreme sovereignty. Um, God's name was very significant. To speak God's name rec would recognize who God was, his power, his, his majesty, his uh, holiness. In fact, they considered that, the Jews considered that name so holy that they put in vowels that grammatically don't fit that structure. Uh, I don't know the details of that. I'm not a grammarian in the Hebrew language, but, but the scholars tell us that, that the vowels they chose didn't really fit that, but they used it and they called it Adonai. And so if you come across the word Adonai, frequently it is the word that we would now say Yahweh. But they didn't want to use that term. It was too, too precious and too sacred. Walter Kaiser, one of my professors at Trinity, wrote in his book, The Promised Plan of God, some of the most detailed divine disclosures on the nature of God appear in Exodus 3, 6, 33, and 34. In disclosing the name of God, they highlight God's attributes of justice, faithfulness, mercy, truthfulness, and holiness. To know God's name is to know him and to know his character. Their experience of the gracious acts of God would be traced back to the comforting assurance, I will be with you. For that was what God's name and character, that was God's name and character. His name was I am, the God who would be dynamically, effectively present when needed and when people called on him. Now, he had not been introduced to the Israelites as Yahweh before, as, as God explains to Moses. He said, I've, I've used that term, but they haven't understood the significance of that name. 
because it has redemptive power as well. And the Israelites rejoiced in the fact that God, Yahweh, was a savior. He brought salvation. God, he was a God of salvation. And what a delight and a privilege that is. What a promise of hope that there is salvation. There is hope. There is a future. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, Moses said, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. This is my God. He is coming. He's my personal God who wants to encourage me. Now, this comes through somewhere again in, in the terms of the details of his name when we're reading Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where we're told what his name shall be. It shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is all included in the name Yahweh. That's the Old Testament. Now, we move to the New Testament, and we heard... In the passage read just a few moments ago in Matthew, where the angel comes to Joseph and gives him the names of this child to be born. This child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and they were going to name him Jesus. Jesus. The, the uh, Greek form of J Joshua, meaning Yahweh saves. And why was he given the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And there would be another term that could be used, Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, that brought joy to the people who heard that. God is with us. You see, all deities of the world were some distant inform or formal uh, personalities who really had no connection. They were impersonal. They had no connection with their people. And people were in fear because they had no idea what their gods were going to do. God says, that's not me. I'm going to be with you. God is coming down to earth to be with you. What an what a privilege that was. Now, that term, Emmanuel, is not used elsewhere in the New Testament. But believe me, if you've read through the New Testament, you know that that concept of God with us is everywhere in the New Testament. Maybe one of the most prominent places and familiar places is found at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. As Christ is with his disciples toward the end of his life here on earth, and time on earth, and, and, and he is commissioning them, and he is saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach them to observe everything that you've heard from me. And good luck on it, and just help, hope you do well. No, he says, and, well, you know what he said. And lo, or behold, listen, think about it. I will be with you. Not once did God, did, did God in any way through Jesus or, or himself, God, indicate that you're on your own. God is with us. And friends, that's a promise we can hang on to today. God is with us. And that's what the name means. Paul was reminded of that in Acts chapter 18 when Christ said, don't worry about the crowds. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Christ said, I will be with you and I will protect you. 
Um, the angel told Joseph that the uh, child born would save his people from his sins. And Luke picked that idea up in Acts chapter 4. And again, a very familiar passage, Acts chapter 4, 18, 11, 12. Jesus is the corner, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven but to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way of being saved except through the name of Jesus Christ. And what a delight it was for the disciples to know that as they went forward, the that God was with them, and they had the only means of salvation, just as you and I have today, the only means of salvation to share with anyone. Going to church doesn't do it. Obeying the Ten Commandments doesn't do it. Only the name of Jesus and believing on him and repenting of our sins brings us there. Frequently in the Old Testament, God has said, I'm going to make my name great. People are going to hear of me all over the world, and they'll, they'll rejoice for the most part because my name is great. Wherever you go, your na my name will be great in this world. In Malachi chapter 1, he makes that clear. He says, my name will be great among the nations, and it was. And this was true even in the New Testament as Christ began a ministry. In Mark, in Mark, he tells us that King Herod had heard all about Jesus, all that Jesus was doing because Jesus' name had become well-known. Oh, Jesus, he's the one that healed the pe people. He's the one that gave sight to the blind. He's the one that allowed tongues to be loosened and they could speak. He opened ears and people could hear. Wow, that Jesus, his name had become known. What a delight that was for him. Another word that is used to identify God, and we've looked at a couple, the, the idea of salvation, the idea of safety and protection, is the idea of holiness. And it, if we look at the second line in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, often called the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says that, hallowed be your name, or your name, may your name be kept holy. The name of God, the name of Jesus is a holy name. 1 Peter 1.15 says, but just as you ha he has called you who is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now the commandment has said that it's all about God's name, but what about God's name? He begins with a negative. He says, don't do this. Don't. You know, the, the warning sign came out. Stop. Do not misuse the name. It literally means don't lift up the name of God in vain. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think you can see, I hope you can see from what we've talked about, the name of God, Yahweh, Elohim, Jesus, Emmanuel, there's a reason God put this in here because it is so precious and so sacred. And I loved our focus this morning on all these worship songs, lifting up the name of Jesus. And Bree did a great job of selecting music that would lift the name of Jesus in a very positive way. Holy, holy, holy. Um, you know, or praise be to the name. All of these 
You know, the name of the Lord is a strong tower taken out of Proverbs. These are incredible songs of lifting up God's name in praise. And God warns us about doing the opposite, and that is using it in a frivolous way and misusing it in a way that would not bring honor and glory to him. To treat his name with disrespect is to treat his gift lightly. We underestimate his power and his holiness. We scorn his presence, it's been said. It is interesting to note, if you, if you know, go back to ch uh, chapter 20, verse 7, that there, is, uh, uh, the there are consequences listed, not enumerated, but it says God's not going to hold you guiltless. <laughs> if you violate this command, there will be consequences. But nothing is said specifically about the consequences. One, co one writer compares God's name to a trademark which has a copyright. There are strict laws concerning the use of someone's copyright name or logo in a manner that misrepresents the original owner of that copyright or that product. God has graciously licensed the use of his name to anyone who will use it according to his instructions, his written instructions. So if you use the name of God according to the written instructions, God says, go ahead, you've got free license to. But as with any copyright, if you violate those guidelines and, and misuse that copyright, that trademark, prosecution of the law will take place. Now, the difference in, in uh, the, the physical human case or in God's case is that God is prosecutor, jury, judge, and enforcer of the law. You have no choice. You're in trouble. If you violate it, you don't have a jury that's going to give you a, goal, uh, a pass because God is going to take a look at all of that. And so uh, it's a matter of being careful with the name of God. In Genesis chapter 11, and we don't have time to read that this morning, but we read the story of the Tower of Babel where the people were of one language and one community and they were all together and somebody had this brilliant idea and why don't we build a city and let's build a tower that'll go to heaven. Why? So we have a name for ourselves in this world. And God said, uh-uh, that's not good. And he came down and he confused the languages. And that's one reason I can't speak Burmese. Um, other than it's also a very difficult language to learn. If you've ever looked at it, it's filled with curls and curler curves and, and circles and all kinds of weird things. But they learned it. But the language was spread because God was wanting the glory for himself. God says, you glorify me, not build a name for yourself so you can get the glory. You see, we need to be careful with that. When God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, the process was accompanied by thunder and lightning and a very loud trumpet blast. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke and the whole mountain violently trembled. You can read about that in Exodus 19. And the people trembled as well and they came to Moses and said, Moses, don't you let God speak to us. You talk to God and you get the instructions and then you speak to us because I think it'll be easier for us. Moses said to them this. He said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The fear of God is with you to keep you from sinning. You know, sometimes we need a warning that brings fear to us to keep us from doing what we shouldn't do. 
You know, we have highway signs all over the country. Everywhere you go, there are highway signs. Why? They give you warnings. And every time you see a sign, that whether consciously or subconsciously, there's just that sense of, I better do what the sign says because I don't want to be in trouble. You know, if you come to a sign that has a bunch of, of circles or a, uh, curls on it and, and wiggles on it, you know that there's going to be a very wavy road. And usually it says curves ahead, so you slow down because you know you'll need to do that to maneuver through that. In Myanmar, they just put the word honk your horn, and that's it. And they just, you be careful and just honk your horn and keep going. Uh, that brings fear into one's life when you read that sign and you're going 60 miles an hour around those corners. Uh, we see signs that say low overpass, and if you've got a high box on the back of your, your vehicle, you're going to take knee or heat of that sign because there's a fear that if you are over, over height, you're going to either ruin that overpass, you're going to ruin your box, you're going to get stuck, all kinds of things. So there's a sense of a warning there, a speed limit warning. 25 miles an hour around this curve. What if I go 50? Well, that might not go well for you, so you want to go 25. Uh, driving through parts of Canada, I've seen a sign that says moose crossing. You know, it's one thing to see a deer crossing, but it's another thing to see a moose crossing. You, you want to be careful. Those are big animals. And so there's a sense of fear that you're watching the sides of the road. And fear will keep us from sinning, Moses said. A fear of God. A fear, not, not this fear that says, I can't touch anything, I can't do anything, God, I'm so afraid, but the realization that there are consequences of our fear. You know, I was thinking about the consequences and wondering, well, why didn't God give us a list of consequences? You know what happens when you get a list of consequences? You weigh the risk. Is the pleasure going to be better than the risk or the consequences? And, and if sometimes the pleasure seems bigger, better than the consequences. And you say, well, I don't care what the consequences are. I'm going to do it anyway. And God doesn't want us to do that. But if you don't know what the consequences are, you're going to be a little more careful with how you treat that uh, command or that uh, guideline, that, that rule. So it's important that we don't misuse that. We have the warnings. You've been warned. And you know what God is expecting of you not to misuse his name. Now, how do we misuse his name? Well, Walter Kaiser, uh, again, a professor I had Trinity, suggested there's a number of different ways, but one of the ways he mentioned that people misuse God's name is to express mild surprise. And as I thought about that, I thought about some of the terms that we use. And I went to the dictionary, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it defines commonly used expressions. And they many of them connect with the use of God's name. Words like G or G's are a substitute for Jesus. Gosh or golly are substitutes for God. They're identified by the dictionary as mild oaths, and an oath is defined as an irreverent or careless act of a sacred name. To me, that's a misuse of God's name when we use expressions like that and throw them around flippantly. We say, OMG, an abbreviation for, oh my God. Friends, that doesn't fit in my thinking with what God says in Exodus 20, don't misuse my name. So we need to be careful. And earlier I mentioned the fact that God's name is holy. 
And we use that term as one of our uh, late broadcasters for the Chicago Cubs used to use regularly. That's flippant use. And I believe that's a misuse of God's name. When we insert that into general conversation and we're not talking, doing anything in terms of evangelism or sharing scripture or anything, to just simply throw that, na- that term out, I believe is not correct. Or that's correct. So let's land the plane. First of all, number one, if you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, go ahead and follow the Ten Commandments. They'll make you feel better. They'll probably make you a better citizen. But don't think you're impressing God because you're not there. It's not from your heart. Following the Ten Commandments and obedience strictly to them will never get a person into heaven. We'll never bring salvation because remember, there's one name only under heaven by which we can be saved. And it's not following the Ten Commandments. Yes, they're good, they're obedient, they're steps of obedience after we have become a believer in Jesus Christ. And once we have repented of our sin and confessed them to him and accepted Christ as a personal Savior and acknowledged the name of Yahweh in my life, then following the Ten Commandments is a step of obedience. But it won't get you there beforehand. If you have that, you know, we, we want people to behave in a certain way. So we put our Ten Commandments on schools, in schools, in the public schools. We put them on uh, maybe a courthouse or in a public square somewhere. We display those Ten Commandments. They're kind of a standard for people to look at. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to force people into a behavioral mold without changing anything on the inside. And that only lasts so long, and we give it up. So that's the first one. Secondly, Scripture is very direct in telling us there is only one reason for using God's name, and that is to glorify Him. There's no other reason in Scripture that I have found where you can use God's name unless you're wanting to glorify Him. And if you're using expressions uh, such as I've said and maybe other ways, to me, you're walking very, very closely to that line of going over and misusing God's name because it is not used, used to glorify God when we use those words in that way. And young people, it is so easy for you to want to fit in with the crowd and adults as well. We want to fit in with the crowd. We don't want to be an oddball. So we pick up language that fits with, what we're, with those that we're hanging out with or in school or at work. Don't do that. God's not happy with that. God says, do not misuse my name. Don't drag it through the gutter. Don't drag it through uh, some, some area that it doesn't belong. It belongs in worship and in praise as we did this morning in, in sharing with others. We live in a society where it is so easy to fall into that. Adrian Rogers, a pastor and a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, wrote a book entitled Ten Secrets for a Successful Family. And he says this. Now, remember, I'm just quoting a, a book. I'm not, this is not my words. When you use profanity, it shows two things, an empty head and a wicked heart. You see, profanity reveals a feeble mind trying to express itself. 
but it also reveals a wicked heart truly expressing itself. A profane mouth reveals a profane heart. So friends, be careful. God says, don't misuse my name. Vance Havner, a former Southern, also Southern Baptist preacher, once said, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. That's what Matthew said. What's in the heart is what comes out of our mouth. But thirdly, I want to leave us with an encouragement that God, number three, wants us to use his name. God wants us to use his name. He gave it to us so that we could use it in praise and worship and honor of him. That's what he wants. He wants us to use it so that we deepen that relationship with him, so that we get to know him better and he gets to know us, although he already knows us better than we'll ever know ourselves. But we get to know who he is because we've used his name in worship and praise and that connection between God's children and God. Romans chapter 8 says, for those who were led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you rec received brought your, about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment. We are his children. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so we can share in his glory by using that name and connecting with him through that name. So friends, be encouraged. There is a great way to use that name. And again, I, I was so thrilled with this morning, so blessed by this morning's music and, and our time of worship to lift up the name of Jesus and where it belongs in, in praise and in worship. And, you know, someday, as we read in Philippians, every knee is going to bow at the name of Jesus. Let's begin that practice now. Let's not wait till then. The believer can bow in the to the name of Jesus at any time and, and repeat that and praise God through this. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've been reminded of the importance of obedience to the commandments that you have given to us. And Lord, it's not only this list of 10, but throughout the scriptures, you've given us so many commands and so many um, ways in which we can be obedient and will serve you and worship you. And Father, this is one of those ways where we have probably slipped. It's been easy to fall into a, a language uh, mold of, of those around us and we're squeezed. And, and we say things that we realize later, well, we probably should have said that, but we did. And Father, I pray that you would give us strength. Give us the strength to stand firm, to bless your name, to lift your name up high, and to praise your name for who you are, and not to drag it through the mud and the dirt of the, of the street and of, of society. Father, we, we are delighted to be your children. And I pray, Father, that there would be nobody who leaves here this morning without having that joy of a personal relationship with you. I pray this in your name. Amen.